0: to introduce what we're doing this week, um, what I would like you to do is to think about the Christian experience in four distinct chronological or or temporal sections. Four. Now, three of them I'm I'm pretty confident that you've given a lot of thought to. But the fourth, I'm not so sure, and that's going to be the theme for this week, that, that fourth chronological section. For one thing, every Christian, um, you're, you're in some sense, you look, you look backward, you look to the past. Um, for, in very, very basic ways, we, we think of, well, where, where did I come from? How did I get here? Who made everything? And what often leads us to the gospel, what usually does, what needs to, is when we say to ourselves, how did things get the way they are? How did I become so broken? How did this world become so incredibly frustrating? Where did all this, this darkness come from? And in the scriptures in the Bible, as we look to the past, we see that God from the very beginning, I mean like really from the beginning, was part of his plan to gather people to himself. And we see in the Old Testament, like Abraham, he begins with him, and he, he gathers a nation together. He's gathering his people, restoring the world. And the culmination of that effort comes in the New Testament where we see Jesus Christ, the Son of God, fully God and fully man. He lived a life that you couldn't live. He bore the curse that you should have borne. He died on the cross, but death could not keep him. Amen. Rose again from the dead. And we read in 1 Timothy 3 that that vindicated his life. It vindicated. It validated everything. And he ascended into heaven. And when we embrace that by faith, when we come to faith in Jesus, we then look at our present. We look, we've looked at this thing, this way things were, what Jesus did for us, and we call that justification. That's accomplishing our salvation. And when we embrace that by faith, we look to the present and go, okay, so what does that mean for me right now? How do I live my life as a Christian? What, what implications are there that I love Jesus? What does that do about the way I look at my family, my studies? What, what, what implication does it have? And we call that, the fancy theological word for that is sanctification, living for God. So we look to the past, what Jesus did for us, justification, what we, what we do now, how we live it out, our sanctification. But we also look to the future of our lives, don't we? We think about how we're going to persevere in the faith. How are we going to keep it up? And we also, and especially at the stage you are, you're thinking about, well, what does the future hold? How do I make good decisions for the future? How do, I, how do I discern, find, and do God's will? And we're thinking about the future, how I can serve God in the future, what job I'm going to take, who I might marry, where I'm going to live. So, but those three things, that past, that present, that future, those are things which... Um, I'm reasonably sure you've given some thought to, but there's a fourth chronological segment here, which is going to be the theme for this week, and it's this, what is the end game to Christianity? What's, where is all this headed? Where are we going? I mean, is there, is there an end game? I'm about to do something that people that do what I'm doing right now are never supposed to do. I'm gonna give you a really dated pop culture reference that none of you probably are gonna know about, but I can't think of a better one, so here it goes. There was a TV show called Lost. Anybody? Anyone? Bueller, anyone? Oh, there you are. Lost. <laughs> you know, a plane crashes on this weird exotic Pacific Island. And their survivors wait to get rescued, but no way, this is a really weird place. This island is in some kind of space time continuum warp. Nothing really is what you think it is. All these strange things start happening. And it was wildly popular for a time, but if you watched it, you know that it got really, really frustrating. And in fact, it's, it's season, the, the whole finale of the show was particularly known for being what? It was just confusing. Like, all these plot things that began were never resolved. It had all these characters that just sort of disappeared. It was really frustrating. And later on, we found out why. The writers of the show, I don't think, really expected to be very popular. And they later admitted that when they began the show, they had no idea where it was going. They had no clue... Where, where they, they didn't know. But then it got really popular. I thought, well, maybe this. Well, maybe that. And so the show got super confusing. In reality, in television, television writers and most drama shows, when they begin a show, ironically, they call it their Bible. That's what they call it. And when they begin a show, what it is, it's the, it's the overarching story arc. Every show that begins, they know where it's going. They have a big idea of where this is headed, And therefore, every show they write sort of is supposed to make sense and lead to that conclusion. There are moments we need to ask ourselves, this thing we call Christianity, this thing we call the Christian life, is it going somewhere? Is it heading? Is there a big story arc to this that we all know we're going to this one place which has a dramatic effect on how we live this life? And a more important question is this, an as important question is this. In fact, in your small groups, this is the, this is the big, this is the one, every, every night we're going to have one sort of overarching question, this is it. Does it even matter? Does it even matter that there is a place where we're all headed? Does it even matter that there is a place, there is an end game to Christianity, collectively for, for all Christians? Is that even the point? So this week, um, the fancy word, theological word, is called glorification, and that is the idea that we get, that those that we read about, those he justified, he also glorifies. It is the end game of Christianity. It's where, as Christians, we're all headed. It's the last episode that goes on forever. It is a C.S. Lewis book. It's the last chapter of the most beautiful book you've ever, ever read. And each chapter is more beautiful than the one before. It's the end game. But tonight, I have a very simple goal, to convince you that it actually matters. Because there are some, in some circles, some real confusion about that. Before we get to our scripture reading, we'll get that in just a second. This is a very long introduction, by the way. Short body, long introduction is before we get there, I, one thing that I'm very, very grateful for is that early in my Christian experience as a student at, in South Carolina, I was converted, came to faith in Jesus early in my college experience. And I came home for a vacation, and I was at home, and I tell you, I had been a Christian a matter of weeks, and I didn't know anything about Christian doctrine, about the Christian, I mean, I knew very little other than I loved Jesus. And I was at home watching TV. This is 1978, I think. All right, and I'm watching TV, and on on I land on this program that is a married couple who are tele, who are televangelists. You know what that is? Televangelists. They're called Jim and Tammy Faye Baker. And I had no idea. Let's get, I, I didn't know. I didn't know enough. I didn't know the. I didn't know whether I should take this seriously or not. I was without any guile. Are there Christians? I'll listen to this. And she had, you know, just this extraordinary hair. And she had this incredible makeup. I mean, it was just strange. And he, he it was like a talk show, and he had a microphone, and they were singing, and they had guests. And this is what I remember the most. There was a time when she looked at her husband, and she said, this is a microphone. She goes, she goes Jim? His name was Jim. Jim. (laughs) She goes, you know, being a Christian is such a wonderful experience. It is so full of blessing, and it's so full of prosperity and health, and being a Christian is so exciting. And she looked at the camera, and she said, I would be a Christian even if it wasn't true. And at that moment, I almost had like a panic attack. You ever seen one of those movies where the, the camera will pan back and zoom in at the same time, and Everything gets kind of big in the background, and there's strange music, and like, or those pictures, you know those, those pictures that are a, bu- a series of dots, and you're supposed to look at them, and you're supposed to see something, you know what I'm talking about? Like, like I thought, Wow, I'm supposed to see something here. This, this is really, I, I was getting all, wait, hang on, I would be a Christian, even if it wasn't true? Wait, wait, no, wait, wait. That's really weird. That's really strange. Then I thought, well, is that true? Is it true that what you experience in this life is enough to be a Christian? In fact, I had a, in later, much later, I was in theological seminary, and a professor actually asked that question to his class. Is what you experience in this life alone enough to keep you a Christian? As a very, very young Christian, hearing that televangelist say that, it was a very formative experience because I had to face that question. In our text tonight, there it is, um, we have, in this passage, the Apostle Paul's letter to the church in Corinth, in which, in this church, which is faced with all kinds of issues, all kinds of problems, and one problem is, is that there is some debate about whether or not Jesus really did, if he's really still alive. If if His resurrection is actually true. And we read this. If you have it up there, if you're on your smartphone, or if you want to kick it old school, if you've got a Bible, that'd be good too. 1 Corinthians 12, 15, 12 to 19. Now, if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say there is no resurrection of the dead? If there is no resurrection of the dead, then Christ has not been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our proclamation has been in vain, and your faith has been in vain. We are even found to be misrepresenting God because we testified of God that he raised Christ, whom he did not raise if it is true that the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, then Christ has not been raised. If Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile, and you are still in your sins. Then those also who have died in Christ have perished. If for this life only we have hoped in Christ, we are of all people most to be pitied. So the implication in the church is this: there are people that are saying, "You know that thing about Jesus being raised from the dead? Eek! Ah, now it happened. His bones are lying somewhere in Palestine. Not true. But evidently they weren't scurrying from the church." They were saying, well, no, we, we, can, we can do this Christian thing, but we don't really need to believe that resurrection thing. And what this man is saying, the Apostle Paul is saying, is, well, actually, mm, not so fast. It's all part of the package here. For one thing, the idea of Christ being raised from the dead, we see here in verses 12 and 13, were the, the, the thing that validates his resurrection. And he says, look, we are still in our sins. People who have died in Jesus, have perished. So that benefit of being a Christian, of having your sins forgiven, well, that's kind of off the table. That is no longer happening. And so we ask ourselves, is what you experience in this life enough to keep you a Christian? Even, like, tomorrow night I'm going to start getting into more more of the uh, idea of what this thing beyond death is. This thing that is referred to as heaven. This thing referred to as life beyond the grave. But I need to sort of convince you that, you know what, this is pretty important. Because there is still, to this day, a school of some professing Christian thinking that says, you know the resurrection thing, you know, kind of an optional extra you don't have to worry about it. You know, Jesus, the whole thing—he was more here to sort of inspire us, give a good example, give us good ideas. But we don't this idea of him you know, really. Nah, come on. We don't really need to believe that. What we see here in this in this passage in this Bible text is this is no. Actually, it's really um, it's it's essential to what Christianity is. It really is. Remember Jim and Tammy Faye, the. Here, this was her confusion. Um, she was saying that Christianity is true because it has benefits, all right? No, it has benefits because it's true. Do you see the difference there? Yeah. Big, big difference. Oh, well, it has all these benefits. It's so great. It's so cool. I can, I just, everything is, is exciting and wonderful. Really? I don't know what world she's living in. And so, no, in this, what validates Christianity is its benefits. No, 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 no. It has benefits because it's true. But some of those benefits that are real benefits, you won't find on normal marketing campaigns. Because some of those benefits include the shedding of tears, include suffering, and bearing about the death of Jesus on our own body. Get to that later. It's a pretty mixed package. But... We the red, Jesus being raised from the dead and this real hope we have because it says here too that if we if Jesus has not been raised from the dead then what do we have to hope in? Chad mentioned that I was uh, my wife and I we were in Australia for about ten years. Um, ten great years. Um, our kids were all born there. had a had a great ministry. Was. Um, in a church development, and then for half that time, I did a campus ministry in a large campus in downtown Melbourne, Australia. I had a lot of interesting students. But among the most interesting students I had was a student who happened to be the president of the Australian Elvis Presley fan club. She was. Huge Elvis fan. She was an engineering student, but she was also the president of the Australian Elvis Presley fan club. And one day she invited my wife and I to one of their meetings, which was a special meeting because it was a commemoration they had every year of Elvis's death. Big, large gathering in a pub in downtown Melbourne. And she said, it's going to be fun. Um, there's going to be a band playing Elvis music. There's going to be a lot of uh, good food. You'll, you'll meet a lot of interesting people. So my wife and I, Dawn and I got a babysitter. We went to this pub in downtown Melbourne, and we went to this annual celebration of the Australian Elvis Presley Fan Club. And at first, we were having a lot of fun. Band was great. A whole lot of shaking going on. Heartbreak Hotel. They were really good. Food was good. And we met some really interesting people. But then it got really weird. I mean really weird. The person who was leading the meeting silenced everyone and got us all to sit down we all sat and the first thing he said is you know i can feel the spirit of elvis in this room i really can and then they had testimony people stood up and they talked about what a difference elvis had made in their lives like you know what knowing elvis has been just a thing that's made my life they said, you know, and one of the sweetest things is knowing all you people. The fellowship that I enjoy, loving Elvis, has been great. Then they took a collection. Does this all sound familiar to you? Yeah. <laughs> they took a collection because they were raising money because they would send people from this group on an annual pilgrimage to Memphis to commemorate the death of Elvis. And the people, after they took the collection, the people who had been on the pilgrimage the year before stood up and talked about what a life-changing experience it was to go to Memphis and to go to Graceland and to meet all these worldwide family of people who love Elvis. It got so weird we had to leave. As we were walking out, I'm returning back and looking at the pub. It was in a place called Fitzroy. and looked, looked at this pub, and I said to myself, Can you believe it? Can you believe, can you believe that there are these people who have dedicated their lives to a fat, dead rock and roll star? These are the most pathetic people and the saddest people I've ever seen. I want to draw your attention now to the latter part of this passage, verses 17 to 19. This is how The Apostle Paul addresses this idea of no resurrection. If Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile, and you are still in your sins. Then those who have died in Christ have perished. If for this life only we have hoped in Christ, we are of all people, what? Most to be pitied. Did you you connecting those dots now? You see, if, if it's only for this life, we have hope. If there is no hope of the resurrection, then you know what? We're, we're kind of like those Elvis people. No, really. If for only this life, like, no, 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 no. We have staked our lives that Jesus is alive, haven't we? We have staked our lives that this is actually true. And we, have, we live in a world, we'll get more to this this week, that is so obsessed with what we see in front of us creating heaven in this world that we have forgotten so much about what lies beyond this world. And that has a remarkable difference in the quality of our Christian life. So we finally answer the question. Um, I'm, I'm pushing 60 now. I don't look at that now. <laughs> <Okay>. Sorry. Um, <laughs> and uh, you know, I was sitting in your seat in 1982 over there, and life was all in front of me. Everything was potential. I was dating my now wife. It's great. And I imagined a life with her and raising kids and going into ministry. It's all in front of me. Now, it's not all behind me, but, you know, a good bit of it is. I'm definitely playing the back nine, and the clubhouse is in sight. All right? And so that question is what you experience in this life, enough to keep you a Christian, is not one that I fully expect you to really be able to say, oh, yeah, I get that one. Well, I can tell you. And it's not just my opinion. This is what the Bible says. Is what you experience in this life enough to keep you a Christian? The answer is what? No. Absolutely not. It's not. <laughs> hey, I'm sorry. If we have no hope for the future, if there is nothing beyond the grave, if our, if our fear of death is well-founded, if it's well-founded, um, yeah, let's ask those being martyred right now let's ask the persecuted church let's ask people who through history have suffered for being christians is what you experience in this life and now don't get me wrong don't start putting on twitter that tom cannon said that you know it's this life is bad and it's awful the christian life i don't mean that this life is full of incredible extraordinary blessings in jesus go like this say amen all right it is but, but total package total package if we don't have that a hope for what is to come you know what think of a whole lot of shaking going on think of uh, at the end of the when we left that meeting by the way they're getting ready to stand and sing together let's sing love me tender together let's <laughs> sing it and we left Instead of these wonderful songs exalting Christ we've sung tonight, if, if, if the bones of Jesus are still lying in Palestine, we might as well be singing Elvis songs right now. But how does this passage end? We all not print it, if you have it in your Bible. In verse 20, says this, But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the firstfruits of those who have died. For since death came through a human being, the resurrection of the dead has also come through a human being. For as all die in Adam, so we all are made alive in Christ. Amen. Amen. And so, tonight, small groups, only question I want you to consider. Think of this life. Think of the importance of, think of trying to make the resurrection or thinking of the life to come as an optional extra. You can't do it. Can't do it. Part of the package. That's all we're expecting tonight. Now, in the Coming evenings, we'll be talking about more specifically what this thing is we call glorification, heaven. What is it? What is the essential quality of it? And most importantly, what difference does it make in my life? Amen. Let's pray together. Lord, we give thanks for Jesus. We pray that the Son of Man might be lifted up, that we be drawn to him. Thank you for the hope of the resurrection and life beyond the grave. We pray in Jesus' name.